0: Today, I welcome Mark Steed, Principal and CEO at Kellett School, Hong Kong. In this episode, I discuss the role EdTech has in shaping the future school, international education leadership, professional development, and quarantine resilience. Um, You're very prolific, um, as is your wife, Samantha, on social media, and you recently chronicled your hotel quarantine experience. Um, Why did you do this?
1: I think I think we were going into being in quarantine, the prospect of being in quite a small room for the twenty-one days um, together, we needed to, you know, I think we used the expression paint the walls, put some colour on the walls, you know, actually, you know, otherwise it just becomes a box that contains you. So I think that was part of it. I think I think also Kellett's very, you know, been at the forefront of the sort of well-being movement and so on and you know and the idea of, of, of you know looking after one's own well-being and, and so on so I, I was very keen to model it and in a sense share how we we coped with the stresses and strains of of being in quarantine for for such a long period of time um and and just to sort of in a sense say look you know this is a pretty rubbish situation you know it's being stuck in 28 square feet for for 21 days but i think to you know but it it ultimately it comes down to your mindset and and how you use that time and opportunity so i think by taking a sort of theme pretty much every day and, and following it through i think was was very much I suppose behind that. I mean, it was a lot of fun to do as well. I mean, we had some real laughs, and you know, there was, and I think that's the good thing. Is it, it was a great, you know, it gave us a bond. You know, just putting it together, coming up with what we're going to do tomorrow, and you know, what's the theme, you know, and so on. So, I think all of that, you know, was was a really really positive experience. And I think it helped us get through i think you know we came through it stronger than than we you know for, for having done the experience and made something of it so yeah a lot of fun
0: yeah which was your famed uh, your which was your favorite themed night
1: oh god i don't know um we we had some some fun ones um i think i think probably valentine's was was obviously going to be a good one Um that you know looking back um and i think um actually the film night doing doing the casablanca was great i mean you know that was that was quite a fun one uh yeah but they were all they all had all had their moments and it was quite fun because we were on a um facebook group for people stuck in quarantine and you know there was like a spa day i mean they honestly thought we'd gone to the spa because we'd faked all these photos up in our room (laughs) you know how do you get a massage in the hotel Uh, that's what everyone
0: kept asking um, how i mean caroline kept asking but but how? how how are they doing that? I mean, our favourite night was. I mean, we did, we did like the film night. We did like. Um, my, I mean, my, my personal favourite was your French soirée. Um, honestly, mm-hmm. you know the 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 the, the, the pencil moustache, the elegance of it all. I mean, recreated. So um, no, I, th- I thought it was it was, it was a fantastic um, idea, and actually part of part of sort of the the, the social side of things is to share those stories and to share the memories because those are things you'll look back at a period in time that is 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 almost unforgettable but we will forget the detail to some of it um what did you learn most about yourselves during that time that you didn't already know i
1: think i think it's about inner, inner resilience really and i think it's about you know it, i think it does remind you that your mindset you know you, you've got control of how you feel about you know you, you can't necessarily control what's happening to you but you can you can take some control over how you feel about it and and that's that's a really important lesson I think you know in, in managing in a sense how you interpret things and you know and that's part of the whole well-being program I and mean, you know I, I mean when I was in quarantine I read um I finished off reading um, Martin Seligman's um, Flourish. And you know he did a lot of work with with um, you know with people around that whole changing the mindset sort of approach of it's not the event that, that's the key thing it's it's how you interpret it that is the important thing and you can at one end you can catastrophize and you know make it something terrible or at the other end you can you can make it something positive so
0: yeah and you know you are obviously in a in in a confined space um for that many days with your with, with your wife what what did you miss the most about reality because there's, there's there's being in lockdown and you know and having some freedom to 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 get around um what did you miss the most from being in quarantine
1: i think exercise and you know i mean to to be honest you know technology allows you to keep in touch I mean, we do a lot of Zoom meetings now at work, even if we're in the same building. So, you know, in that sense of things, um, I think that genuine sitting around the table with people is, you know, something I missed. Um, but, yeah, I think the ability... I mean, there's there's a real difference between going... I love running, and I really miss running. Um, and running on the spot's not the same, and doing a hit class isn't the same, or, you know yoga session and you know all the other things that we we did in quarantine so yeah they interesting but yeah i think i think definitely exercise and just sitting around a table having you know normal normal conversations with people
0: yeah the social interactions um yeah, yeah well it, well you made it look easy and i think for anybody that that does have to go through any any quarantine i think it's a it's, it's a really good thing to to take some notes and to move out of your book um when it comes to how, how do you get through the boredom. how do you keep it interesting um, because it's enormously difficult um, and almost I, I, I bring it back to what our children have been going through you know locked in their rooms it feels like because they sleep there they work there um, so again how do we build that, that sense of mental resilience and I think making it interesting will go some way to to get in to think about it. Um, I want to move on to your obviously your international headships because you made the switch from working in independent education in the UK decided to start a new life in Dubai um, at Jess what sparked the change and do you think your return because you're now in Hong Kong um I think I think the career you know I'd
1: spent a lot of time working in boarding schools um you know I'd sort of work the lees radley and all had been a housemaster lived on site a lot um i think you know the move to berkhamsted were from from having run kelly you know there's a boarding school in devon now mount kelly um you know moving to berkhamsted was about in a sense going to a day school environment but it still had elements of boarding it was still very full-on it was it was quite a big day school um, by by UK standards um, and I, I think I got to the point where I didn't want to go and run a big boarding school I didn't want to go back you know, the only you know when you're running the second biggest day school in, in England you know the, the going to run a boarding school is the only next step and I didn't really didn't want to do that um, at the same time I really you know we really wanted to, to travel and and see what it was about and I think it was a great time to move abroad i mean we we moved abroad in 2015 you know it was there was a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the international community at the time um it's a really it's 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 a quite a formative stage in terms of its maturity as as a sector um more schools going out and it's been a really i i it's been the best thing we've done absolutely best thing we've done moving abroad it's been really really interesting um, really pleased that I've got the grounding from the UK having having worked for 20-25 years I suppose in in the UK um, but it, it's really lovely to to be in a very different educational environment I'm still still high-end you know both Jess and Kellett are HMC schools they're some of the sort of you know academically you know they're easily easily stand up in the uk um but they but yeah i mean it, again just different context and, and life experiences i must say i mean you know i don't think hong kong's <laughs> you know hong kong's been quite an interesting time i mean we know we, we came out here and the process kicked off pretty much that week um and then we've you know we come out of that in into covid so it's you know and that's been you know quite a challenge for us um in terms of keeping in touch with with family and particularly um so yeah it's not been without its challenges and you know i don't think you know you can move abroad without you know looking at both sides of, of what it what it takes but yeah it's been great and it's been a really interesting move and i i would really recommend spending period of your career abroad you know at some stage you know working in in education abroad it's very enhancing you know it's you know really you really do learn a lot and these are some of the best schools in the world in the international community
0: yeah um are there any major differences between running an independent school in the uk dubai and hong kong or do they really all look and feel the same
1: well, I think on the ground, I think you know pretty much all schools do the same thing, don't we? I mean, we teach lots of lessons, we run lots of extracurricular, we do lots of pastoral care and stuff. But I mean, um, I mean, certainly, you know, the, the, from a school principal point of view, running a school in the UAE is is dominated by inspection. Um, you know, there's an annual inspection regime in Dubai. Um, uh, I was running effectively two sites two schools Um, so two inspections a year um, plus a BSO inspection on top of that so um, you know that was that was quite a challenge and anyone who thinks that you know you get out of touch by going abroad is you've got you know think again because you you really you really have that side of you know that you know you have to be absolutely up-to-date you know in order to get through those sorts of inspections I mean, Hong Kong is is totally deregulated. Um, there's no inspections and so on. Uh, it's sort of free market approach to education. You know, your school thrives or dies depending on how good it is, um, and on it lives lives on its reputation. So I think that's that's a really interesting environment to work in. Um, you know, it's a very competitive environment. Um, you know, I mean, Hong Kong has some of the some of the most academic schools in the world. I mean, you know, you've got some of the top IB schools. the the very top IB schools are all in Hong Kong. Um, you know, and then you know, the two top British senior schools are you know, Kellis and Harrow, and you know, we're two of the most academic A level schools in the international school community. So. It's it's a very it's a very uh, challenging environment in terms of you know competition, but that's that's really good fun, and you have to be on your game. So yeah, really good fun.
0: Yeah, and would you say um, being in Hong Kong? I mean, you talk about academic, um, and I know that academic is one strain of uh, and one area that that schools focus on. And I know um, from previous um, experience working with you, is that you you hold a huge value beyond just academic. Um, do you find that the independent the international schools um, in the Far East are more adventurous towards technology or less adventurous to technology and change as opposed to maybe your experience in the Middle East?
1: Yeah, I've been surprised, actually. I was really taken aback because you know, when you think of Hong Kong um, and China, you, you do think of you know very, very forward-thinking, high-tech sort of um, environments. Um, but actually, there's a conservatism, in Hong Kong um, when it comes to the use of technology with children um, so yeah that's been a bit of a surprise but I mean you know to be honest any any reservations that people had have been wiped away by by the school closures I mean we all have to rely on technology now you know and we've had to well we've been totally dependent on it for you know for well over a year now so um, it's yeah. You know, it, it, if you don't have good technology, you don't really have much to offer as a school at the moment. And I think it's it's a great sadness that all those other things that yeah you know, are really important to me—the sport, music, drama, public speaking—you know, sort of innovation, problem-solving stuff. Um, you know, they rely on face-to-face. They rely on on all the other on on, on that's human interaction. So um, it's been it's been very sad not to have. School sport or concerts or whatever in in quite the same way. So um, yeah, we all look forward to getting it all back again. Yeah, way.
0: yeah. I mean, ho- hopefully, it's not going to be too 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 long. But um, the the reality, I think, it's going to be longer than we all we all think. You mentioned technology, and you're a firm believer in the role that technology plays in pedagogy. Um, what technology do you see at the moment that excites you most for this idea around the future school and the future of education? Um, yeah, I, I think. I mean, I mean, it's interesting to look at the areas that,
1: that you know. I mean, I was very lucky to work with some very, very forward-thinking people in in Dubai in terms of how we use technology in the classroom. Real risk-taking, and so on. And I, you know, and I think think you know, I mean, we you can't ignore AI going forward. You know, as as something that is going to support, enhance, and sort of augment education um, I think the debates out there about whether it's going I mean there are lots of ethical debates around it but there's there are there are lots of questions around whether it will actually impact you know have you know replace teachers it's early days we're a long long way off it at the moment but I think there is potential there but you know AI is going to change society as a whole so you know, I mean, it's bound to hit education
0: I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Um, do you think there needs to be more investment and a change in the way that we look at teacher training? Not just in the u k but across the world, to ensure that they have the right skills to deliver a fit for purpose education to these to this generation
1: yeah I mean I think i don 't know where, where you start with it, but I mean you know, the the most important quality of a teacher is is the ability to inspire i mean you know, i mean as, as we support learning with with various technologies and you know, students have more and more independent access to, to, to sort of knowledge and content um, what we need are are teachers who are going to inspire and motivate and keep people on you know sort of get people wanting to learn wanting to watch the next video wanting to read the next book wanting to, to do and that's always been one of the factors of, of teaching uh, you know, clearly the skill set is going to change. It's going to shift from being about content delivery to to actually developing skills. But but again, it's so I think, and I'm not sure all the teacher training courses have have really caught up with that. Um, I mean, you know, I think we need to shift away from a a teacher training model that's based on crowd control um, to one that's, you know, based on you know coming up with new and innovative ways to to inspire young people and um, and that's quite a big shift really you've really to be a really truly inspirational teacher you've got to have a total command of your subject and the ability to sort of you know go off down you know a sort of cul-de-sac just just for the sheer intellectual curiosity and fun of it and I think you know the best teachers that we can remember are the ones who did sort of get side you know you could you could take them off and they teach you stuff that wasn't on the syllabus and it you know you that and then you learn a love for that subject
0: yeah um we've been reading a lot about the the widening gap between the private and the state sector here in the uk um because of you know affordability access to technology obviously resourcing um the teaching Facilities and um, IT provisions that the schools have put in place. Um, it, it worries me greatly that you know we all have a duty to this, this the wider education um, of all children. And have you seen any direct impact? And what should schools be private schools be doing to bridge that gap further?
1: Well, you know, I've I've long thought that that the the independent sector should be able to share its you know its sort of resources in the broadest sense of the word with with the wider community um, you know i mean looking back into the 90s there were problem, there were sort of there were areas where people shared lesson plans and you know teaching resources um, and you know there was a the idea of doing that um, i remember you know in the in the 2000s we were looking at trying to put an iTunes U site together for independent schools where you'd have like mini lectures, 15 minute lectures on various areas, you know, sort of snippets of lessons and stuff um, and and producing a structure for that so that we could share some of the best teaching. Um, You know, at Jess we, we did a sort of proof of concept, which I still think is a really interesting one where we, Put a three hundred and sixty camera into a classroom so that we could live stream the lesson and give the feeling of being in that class. Um, at some point, we you know these are the solutions that will come down the line, and you know this idea of moving online, you know the Eton X, you know the sort of Harrow online school type thing. I mean, this this will be the next big step for for. You know, some of the leading providers in education it won't just be about setting up physical franchises it'll be setting up virtual ones and virtual yeah. school.
0: And do you think it's um, government responsibility or big tech to provide more um, resources and, and access to this technology to those who really can't afford it to get basic access to um, a good online education?
1: yeah i mean i i i mean you know given how much money is being thrown around at the moment in the uk i mean you've got to, you know you've got to, you've got to look to governments to to provide you know access um, to education in 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 different ways but you know we've got to go back to the to the lessons learned when ipads just got dumped on schools you know in, in you know in in the early 2000s where you know I mean or it you was know, in the two it must have been twenty ten or something you know um and you know just didn't put any training in at all so um you know we've you know it is about upskilling staff and you know and and getting them to a high level and that's that's perhaps an area where the independent sector can help in terms of it, but there's always a danger with this where you know the independent sector looks like you know because it's got resources and it's further ahead it always looks rather you know sort of patronizing to sort of say oh yes we'll help you all out i mean there's some phenomenal practitioners you know in, in state schools in the uk and um and they're doing some amazing stuff so i think it's, it's I, I don't want to see it as a binary divide but we do we do need to get decent kids you know two children and we need to get decent skills into teachers and if we're going to provide digitally enhanced learning certainly.
0: Yeah um, I completely agree and this is something that I'm certainly championing um, as much as I can do and I know that you do when you're, you're kind of talking around the world. Um, you mentioned um, VR and this, this, this idea of immersive lessons, is that the kind of the big technology that you think will be truly transformational when it comes to education? I think I think VR is quite a
1: remarkable technology, and I think we're still only you know sort of touching the surface with it at the moment. You know, I think you know, once we get past the clunkiness, I mean, you know, some of the latest Oculus Rifts, you know, the the, you know, the Oculus series, are just you know they're not they're, they're they're wireless. You know, they've got enough processing power within the device that they don't need to be have leads. Um, they give a freedom of movement and there's you know that anyone who's spent any time in a vr environment is just wowed by it you know i mean it's you know the, the, what the ability of that technology to make you feel stuff i mean i actually managed to do the plank. originally i could not do the plank where you get out of the lift and you're <laughs> on the 50th floor i actually over christmas managed to get out the plank which is at least out of the lift and get onto the plank but you know, it's, it's so powerful, you know, it's, you know, you, you know, it's your diet, you know, your living room floor and, you know, and yet you. Your, you your know, body you,
0: tells you something else. Your brain is wide in a way that it it doesn't want to be conned. It's, it, it can see I what mean. it sees. And it's been programmed to say, I'm not, I'm not walking off the top of a building. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, this idea of hijacking your, your senses is, is incredibly powerful. And obviously, you need to you need to have some sort of safety guidelines in around that but it's you know it's it's a really important part of um, you know the potential there is, is huge um, so yeah I think it you know but it's not yeah you know, we're never going to live deliver the core stuff with it but I think we can deliver I mean you know Jess we did some amazing stuff I mean we were fortunate enough to have Steve Bambury for whom it was just a passion you know the whole VR thing and know this what's the way in which jess used vr in lessons you know was just spectacular at every age group all the way through from some of our youngest students all the way through to to the sixth form so yeah it was great and you know i think it it's there it was very powerful um and you know it's 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 good that we've got it in the toolkit
0: yeah um i mean you, you mentioned a particular um teacher who was obviously passionate about that and drove it and it became um, or, or almost a a, a, a d'etre and a, and a mission. Do you, you often find that in schools where, where, where a single driven person can transform the shape and direction of an entire school. You know, you see that with sports, you see that across academics with the arts. Um, how do we make sure that we don't just have those in isolated pockets in a few schools? Um, and how do you do it in your current school to ensure that You know, that VR experience that you had at your previous school gets adopted within your current school.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was fortunate. I mean, you know, Kellett's been quite good at sort of, you know, embracing technologies as well. So, you know, we'd had VR and stuff here before I arrived and, you know, did some really, really good work with it. But I I think it is about making priorities in terms of how you allocate resources as a school. And I mean, we've just, moved to you know in September we're moving to two digital technology leaders teachers within each of our you know rather than sharing one between the two preps they're going to have one each and that will enable more support for uh for the use of technologies it will help upskill the teachers um it gives you know it means you've got someone whose job it is to to um try out new technologies and say look how does this work you know what does this technology do i mean you know it's you know we would we we when we were interviewing the other week we had you know one of the questions we asked was you know what about putting an alexa into a classroom you know i mean it's quite you know this idea of voice activated you know sort of technologies you know is, is quite an interesting one um, you know, and we got interesting debates around it. We were looking for people who were, you know, and the best candidates sort of look at, you know, well, yeah, actually, like, there could be some really good, you know, really good advantages doing that. And, and then also spotting, well, there might be some real problems with that as well. And I think it's that, you know, it's not, not saying that, you know, we'd put Alexa's into every classroom, but you need someone who's going to say, well, look, here's this new technology. Does it fit in? If yeah. so, where? You know, And yeah. I think that's what you need. And I think... If you as a school invest in that, you know, I, I've always put people into, you know, freed people up to do those sorts of roles. And I think that's that's really important. And then you let them run with it, you know, and some of them are failures. I mean, we did high beaters. They were terrible. You know, we thought it'd be a really good thing. It wasn't. It was a disaster. But... Not the VR stuff we did, for example,
0: was quite amazing. So yeah. yeah, I think you know. But you've got to keep trying, and the point is, is you've got to see technology. You've got to figure out where's it, where where's its pros, what's its cons. Give it a go, um, and not all technology will work in a, in in a school environment, um, and some will thrive, and and others will absolutely fall.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. It's you know, it's and and some of them will work in some you know, context within the school. I mean and you know and be really appropriate and then for other ones it won't and i think it's about finding out what you know having someone who's going to say well that would that should work there giving it a go and then you know learning the lessons and refining things and yeah not have got time to do that so having some people who've got the capacity and who you know the enthusiasm and drive to do it and then who can you know have that sort of infectious sort of sort of sharing those ideas is is really
0: good yeah um the one thing i've always admired about you is your willingness to to share and collaborate um you know even, even you know in an independent sector where you're competing in a way for places for for families um you've always gone out your way to ensure that any resources that that maybe you've you've created or that you've put into your schools get shared to you know within a wider community and wider Uh, marketplace why do you do that
1: I think I think it's there's so many areas that we 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 shouldn't compete on you know I mean when we set up the British schools in Dubai group you know we were we were all grappling with you know quite regular changes to the regulatory framework And you could take the view, yeah, it'd be great if the school down the road had got a bad result. But to be honest, it made more sense for everyone to pull the little bits of knowledge they'd got about how things were, share all the information. And then we could, as a whole community, raise the standard. Um, And, you know, when we had British schools and Dubai meetings, we, you know, it was hugely positive. Um, lots of people having different conversations with you know our Education Bureau um, yeah it makes sense to collaborate um, and then you know that, that always makes sense on compliance but I think when you extend it from compliance to um, other areas like you know if I mean Kellett shared we shared a lot of our documentation around home learning um i mean we were in home learning from the end of january the uk didn't get there till march april end of march april um you know we'd done all the work on what what a home learning policy would look like and you know and so on and what the you know permissions for parents and guidelines for teachers and so on so you know i mean what's the point of just sitting there going well we've got a really nice set of you know set of stuff here you know everyone else is just you know absolutely terrified you know about what they're going to do i mean why not share it you know yeah. i think that's always been my approach and i think it's it's an, you know i think it's important and it comes back you know you people help you out in return and you know and you, you you, you, in a sense, it creates goodwill and it creates a culture of sharing, and you know, and it creates networking. And you can turn around to people and say, "Well, look, you know, could you help us out on that?" Yeah. You know, on the whole, people people are helpful.
0: Yeah. Um, just to wrap this up, the you are um, big on social media. You have been for many many years. I still meet lots of school leaders, heads, principals who are. St- Scared, um, nervous to foray into being public um, on social media. What do you say to those heads? Should they stay off it, or should they embrace it?
1: Well, I think I think there are levels of involvement. I mean, you know, it, I mean, the good thing about say a, a platform like Twitter is that you can be on it and you you don't have to. You can learn from it. And you know, I think there's a stage where you go through just learning and listening and watching the debates, and then there's a sort of curator type role where you you say, well, this is a really good article. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've got a Harvard Business Review subscription, so you know, I, I it's really great. I you find a good article there that's about you know executive, you know, sort of I don't know. Some sort of well-being or something and you can share it you know and say well this is a really good article you know you might you might find this one you know allowed to read three free a month you know this might be a really good one for you guys and and, and, and i really appreciate it when other people do that you know point me towards good articles so i think there's that stage and then there's there is a stage where you sort of get into commenting and you know in a sense being you know someone who who actually is involved in the debates actively and gives their opinion, and you know, get writes letters to the papers and, and so on. Um, and you don't ha- and I think you, I think you don't have to be that from day one. Uh, you don't have to write articles for the paper or TES or whatever. Um, but I think it's a really good discipline. You know, I mean, I, mean, I wrote a, I wrote a blog for seven or eight years before I, I had any articles published. Um, but it was a really good discipline to learn to put ideas down and stuff. And, you know, and I, um yeah, like I, I get stuff published now, but it there was it didn't just happen overnight. You know, it was, you know, it was being part of the conversation for a long time.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a growth arc to anything on social media. And particularly when you're a leader, there, are, there, I can understand there are some some nerves around, you know, what do I do? How do I do it? Because it's alien to what they're used to. But I also believe that, that every leader of any organization needs to understand the environment that they are leading. And, you know, social media has been around for a long, long time now. Um, and so being there uh, in the audience, watching, listening, um, participating in how it operates brings you closer to the shop floor in terms of what you're trying to do to better these young people's lives, because that's where they are spending their time. Um, so if nothing else, I still feel that, as you said, there's a start point that we've got to encourage school leaders to get involved because then they're going to have much better parity of conversation when it comes to driving education forward.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, I, you know, I, I really welcome more people, more people to be involved, to be honest, it's, it's great. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I'm probably, I mean, you know, I'm 55 and probably there aren't that many people of my generation who who have sort of been involved I suppose I got involved in it Um, whereas there are a generation of school leaders for whom it will be you know it'll be much more normative and I think that you know it'd be very interesting to see how they approach it certainly uh, you know I'm trying to encourage my my middle leaders and my senior leaders to to write and you know try and help them to to get things published and to you know to put articles out there or to to put comments out there and sort of you know test the water i think it's really appreciated i mean these are are some really talented young people coming through and
0: it's really good to hear what they have to say you can connect with me on twitter instagram and via linkedin remember keep inspiring schools we need more future school thinking now